your Van Seas Weekly, the home for info and insight on the Vancouver Canadians and all Toronto Blue Jays minor league prospects. Hosted by Greg Ballack and Charlie Kasky. It's episode 18 of the Your Van Seas podcast. I'm Greg Ballack, and with me as usual is Charlie Kasky. We're back. We missed the entire month of February, unfortunately. It's kind of a crappy month, though, anyway. Well, yes and no. It's my birthday month. Um, well, then it's even crappier, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was down in Palm Springs, actually, and I think that I tell you this, I, I actually got to see some baseball when I was down in Palm Springs. It was the California Winter League. Wow. was ongoing, which is a showcase league for kids, well, mid-20s guys in some cases, who don't have contracts and want to sign with one of the various independent leagues. I think it's the actual winter league for the Frontier League, which is out east, kind of the mid, well, Midwest area, Chicago, Illinois. I know Chicago is in Illinois, but you know what I mean. Um, so the, all the Sugarland Skeeters scouts were in attendance? Yeah, um, so wow. tons of scouts, tons of instructors. But it was amazing. Like These kids pay to come and play in this league. I think it was like three and a half grand off the top of my head. Wow. I mean, that gets some room and board and all that as well, but they pay to come out here and play. And, you know, what's the what's the carrot at the end of the string? Like <laughs> 500 bucks a week to play for Amarillo Sox? You know, like it's <laughs> it's not like they're going to be millionaires. And there was 20 guys over. I spoke to one guy from Japan in my Pidgin Japanese and his Pidgin <laughs> English. 20, 20 guys over from Japan. And he's like, oh, I think there was maybe 10 days left in the season. He's like, yeah, I don't have a contract yet. <laughs> okay, well, what happens if you don't get one? Well, I go back to Osaka. <laughs> so you have to admire the dedication yeah, of, of the these dream guys. is still alive for the dream guys. is still alive and then you had to admire the fact that it was 30 degrees in Palm Spring and they had two dollar bud day so uh, <laughs> I was scouting these players oh of course 12 beers deep it yeah, was, were they uh, throwing three balls at once whoa they were yeah <laughs> wow that guy's crazy he's even better than that switch pitcher I keep reading about no one <laughs> he can throw three balls yeah he's in training camp for them this year I saw he he struck out Two guys in one inning with different hands, I think, this this spring. Really? Yeah. So, so what happens, because wasn't that a huge YouTube sensation <laughs> where some guy in the minor leagues was a switch pitcher and there was a switch hitter? Yeah. So every time he switched, the, the hitter would switch. I can't remember which one, but they decided that one of them has to declare yeah. which side they're going right, to be. Right, okay. So, so either, he, either the hitter has to declare or the pitcher has to declare which, which hand. I can't remember. Right, to but. save the frivolity that, because I think the umpire finally had to say, look, you're staying there. Yeah. That's enough. You're batting left, and that's the end yeah, of it. That's, okay. <laughs> His glove is really cool, though, if you've seen a picture of it. It's got the dual thumbs, so it's got six fingers. What? And he can flip it to each hand. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I, I hope he makes it one day. But, I read a book on that. I can't remember who, who wrote it, but it was kind of along that vein of a father that taught his son from a very early age to do everything both-handed, yeah. and he eventually beat him a star pitcher for the Cubs. Yeah. Not a bad idea. You get all yeah. these kids in the Dominican, their parents teach them to swing both ways. Yeah. Know, just add that little bit of extra hope. That well, yeah, it started day. from a very early age, you know, brushing their teeth yeah. both ways, doing yeah. that, because it's meant to unlock different sides. Here we get into a psychology debate. <laughs> but unlock very different opening. areas of your brain as well when you don't use your predominant side all the time, yeah. which, I, unfortunately, I would have to say that I do use my right hand for everything. So kind of shows you why I have use your right hand for a little bit intelligence too much sometimes uh, for certain things but yeah. we won't get into that come on Greg it's a family show <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got a special guest today on the podcast uh, Kyle Matty yep. who is a writer slash blogger slash Jay's guy 
and he writes for CapitalJays.com. Yes. He's, so, uh, he's quite an interesting read. He has some long pieces that he writes, and he's uh, just you know very insightful with uh, a lot of his articles are statistical-based. Yeah. Um, so he'll be interesting to have on. Yeah, so as a blogger, he's he's of the ilk that he he would rather take a longer time and, and meticulously craft yeah. an article that... I mean, his, his articles are incredibly well-researched, very detailed, um, and just excellent, excellent reads. Just unfortunately, we, we only get one one every two weeks, three weeks, rather than content, content, content. Um, I, started, I started reading his stuff when he was with Jay's Journal. This is back when I f- kind of first started reading Blue Jay's blogs and mm-hmm. thinking to myself, I wouldn't mind doing this sort of thing. He would do a weekly MILB report of the Jay's, you know, with, you know throughout the Jay's system. Um, and he had a hand in their, in their top prospect list every year. Um, I eventually joined Jay's Journal, so we were colleagues, um, kind of, you know, we'd get our heads together with the prospect lists over time. He moved on, he left Jay's Journal, um, kind of did a few guest posts here and there over at Drunk Jay's Fans. Um, again, bent more on the statistical analysis, mm-hmm. he did a really good piece with um, Aaron Sanchez, um, looking at this pitch effects data from the Arizona Fall League last year, and then... Um, I guess in December, just before Christmas, I believe it was, um, cranked up his new site, Capital J. So looking forward to talking to him. I I believe this is his first ever podcast. Wow. So we'll have to go easy on him. <laughs> we'll try, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> He's based out of Ottawa. He's based out of so Ottawa. Um, we won't look down on him for that. But well, uh, well, Hang on. Where are you from <laughs> in, Ottawa, in Ontario again? Is there uh, some sort of Ottawa v. Peterborough rivalry Hamilton. that I don't Hamilton, sorry, that I don't know about. I'd almost rather be from Peterborough, but uh, <laughs> we won't go there. So does this go back to the big Red Blacks Steelers rivalry <laughs> that I? Tie Cats. Wow, Ty you're, cats, you're full of the brain Hamilton farts. Steelers. This, this, uh, <laughs> getting late. They got Steelers. Like colors. I said to you earlier, I've actually got a job now. I got to do some work during the day. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm tired. Oh, we'll have to have to shut the podcast down. You can't. can't no, we got to do it. I don't know how many games I'm going to be able to get to for the uh, season still this year. I'm away for most of July as well. Yeah. Well. It's just spring training starting now, though, so we're just starting to get into baseball mode. Um, it's an interesting start to the spring training. I guess we just had the one game that played yesterday. Well, no, they played again today, didn't they? They went down and yep. played the Pirates in, where is there, Bradenton? Today, yes, they were in Bradenton. The day before, they were in Dunedin, so they did a home-and-home, home, I guess. I find it so funny that all the big players can't go to Bradenton. It's like an hour. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jose can, you know, cramp up on the bus. <laughs> But still, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. As we got to see, I was working yesterday. Don't tell my boss. The Blue Jays <laughs> game was on in the background. Oh no! Sometimes with sound, sometimes without. Um, so it was it was great to see Miguel Castro, and yep. we got to see what Mitch Ney, 2013 C. Devin Travis. Hit. Devin Travis. Um, uh, Alfred, I think only pinch ran. Pinch I don't ran, think he yeah. didn't get an AB. Um, Good base running though. I saw you. Yeah. I thought he'd be a little, uh, you know. Dwight Smith came on and, yeah. and pinched around as well. Yeah. So, I mean, all these kids that we, you know, we've we talked about in in the last podcast that got their MLB um, their their main camp invite are obviously going to get involved. Yeah. Um, I think Asuna was slated to pitch. Did he, did he pitch today, or is he slated tomorrow? I didn't see anything from today, so I can't update you on that. We'll need to check that. Won't we, <laughs> it's a long spring, so we'll, it's a long uh, spring. We'll, exactly. We'll certainly see all these guys throughout camp. And mostly televised too. It looks like there's gonna be a few games, uh, eight or ten, yeah, more than usual that are that are televised, which would be good. Well, they got Buck and Pat down there. What else are they gonna <laughs> do, man? Go golfing and fishing the entire time? 
don't know. They need to a... talk about the new clubhouse narrative for the next month. <laughs> Be nice to have a break over from and them. over again. Maybe get Jamie Campbell to do some play-by-play again. That'd that would be, nice. be awesome. Unfortunately, our dreams are dashed. No, nope. no, we got to listen to Buck and Pat talk about how Josh Donaldson's going to be such a positive influence. I thought in the, maybe in the, the offseason, uh, Tabler would add a few words to his vocabulary, but he was still going with the traditional silky smooth, soft <laughs> hands and big and strong. No, nope. so get ready for another year of that. It looks like <laughs> he didn't buy his thesaurus toilet paper over the uh, over the offseason. <laughs> All right, well, we should uh, we should bring on Kyle uh, since we have him, and uh, it is getting late out on the East Coast. Yes. Three-hour time difference with us. Yeah, let's get him. Let's bring on Kyle Maddie of CapitalJays.com. Hey, Kyle. How you doing? So let's uh, let's kick off. Your um, your your website has been absolutely fantastic and one of the most, I guess, what technically detailed and most in in that sort of sense most well-written uh, one of the Blue Jays blogs out there. Well, thank um, you. Which is. Which is Capital J's, right. which I believe you said was a play on, on your locale. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, because uh, I live up in Ottawa, and I was I actually, for a while, I'd been kind of thinking uh, that I wanted to start writing somewhere on my own. And then I was actually back uh, in Nova Scotia over Christmas, and I was just racking my brain trying to come up with something clever. Because, I mean, the last place I had written was Drunk J's fans, and it's hard to get more clever than that. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, i got to kind of you know, carry the torch a little bit. So something that pops and then I thought it was, you know, capital J's. It sounds like it's a focal point, but it's also, uh, I'm writing from Ottawa. So I thought it was kind of clever. Well, and then Andrew's gone completely the other way. So you are now the leader in the clubhouse, I think. <laughs> With He's gone from drunk J's fans to Andrew Stoughton. Oh yeah. To, <laughs> he's gone sober. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe not. Quite. He must've turned 30 or something. <laughs> So let's let's start off with your you. I mean, and, and it's not just been you, but you've been one of the the, the bigger proponents of the Marcus Stroman Winter of Love. Yes, um, <laughs> guilty as charged. Yeah, no, and and obviously the stuff that you've produced, um, the people over at Fangraphs. I mean, I've tried a little bit myself to varying success. Before, like, I don't want to get into conjecture. Let's just get into what you you wrote about. What did you see when you did? And and I want to talk. We can do it about the back end of of what sort of methodology you use because you've obviously. I'm going to say I'm guessing you've got a stats based background or you work in that field because some of the stuff you come up with is is quite detailed. So, what what did you use? You know, when you, you basically to give a little bit of a preamble, you compared Marcus Stroman's six offerings in Marcus Stroman under the microscope to to other players around the major leagues, specifically from 2014. So how did you come up with the data, and what did you find? Okay, yeah, so uh, I think this was, what's the date on this? It was like mid-February? Yeah, yeah February so, 16th. So early on in February, it was the, uh, the Jeff Sullivan on Fangraphs had written the Henderson Alvarez, Felix Hernandez uh, change-up article, which I thought I'd never really seen, like, I'd never seen pitch effects. I mean, back, my first article at Drunk Jays fans, I kind of did the uh, the Aaron Sanchez through the lens of pitch effects, where I kind of just you know using my hands in a calculator, just trying to eyeball what, what kind of pitchers had similar types of fastballs, similar types of curveballs, that sort of thing. But what Sullivan did was the first time I had actually seen someone use like an, an actual like mathematical basis to it. So I was I was really intrigued, and I, I had been firing a few messages on on Twitter just to to find out how he did it, and he was using uh, standard 
standard deviations and z-scores, like, of the three, and then summing them together to get, like, the total, uh, the total difference. So I'm, I set Stroman as the benchmark. So obviously the first thing I would do is I would compare Stroman to Stroman, and you get a, a comp score of zero because obviously mm-hmm. it's an identical match. So then basically every pitcher, I think I used the, a filter of 100 pitches thrown in 2014. Mm-hmm. So for each, each of his pitches, I looked at right-handed starters who threw at least 100 of the pitches and then compared each of those to Stroman and then summed up the velocity, horizontal movement, and vertical movement uh, Z-scores to get the, the comp rating. And what did you find? Well, if, if you've read the article, you've, uh, I'm sure you've seen the, the interesting results if you haven't. So uh, Stroman throws six pitches, a four-seam fastball, a sinker, a cutter, a slider, a changeup, and a curveball. And basically every single pitch had a, uh, in the top five comps, I think he had an all-star in every single one of them. <laughs> so uh, just looking quickly at his fastball, the, his, the top comp was the uh, Cincinnati Reds ace, Johnny Cueto, with a wow. comp score of 0.39, which is pretty close. Uh, for sinkers, and this is where uh, Sullivan and I kind of differed in methodology, he was looking, I think, at uh, 2008 through 2014, and he got Roy Halladay as the, as the top comp. <laughs> Whereas I got Jacob Turner of the, oh my goodness, I think he plays for the Cubs now. He used to play for, I think he was, he went from Detroit to Miami, and I think he plays for the Cubs now. And that's, when you kind of think of Marcus Stroman, you know, he's 5'9", kind of a slighter guy, and then Jacob Turner, 6'5". So it's just kind of like, as you're trying to, you're doing the analysis and you're kind of trying to visualize how he's getting like, you know, and, and if you look at the ground balls for balls in play, he's getting a better sink on his sinker ball than a six foot five giant is, basically. So that's pretty impressive, yeah. I think. <clears throat> that's something you notice when people they see Strowman for the first time in person. It's like they can't believe that a guy that small has that type of velocity and that and can throw that hard. And it's unbelievable yeah. what he can do. Yeah, he's got the velocity, he's got the movement, and then I, I threw a couple of heat maps up there, and you can see with the sinker, he's got the location too. Because I mean, if you're throwing a sinker at the top of the zone, it's I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's sinking, it's, it's still right in the swing plane, but when you're just peppering the bottom part of the zone with those, like, 93-mile-an-hour sinkers, like, the, what, what's the hitter supposed to do other than drive it into the ground? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was funny for me, because I'm looking at your comps for the, um, the two-seam list there, and, and you look at Jacob Turner, and then the name that really stood out for me, obviously besides the one we all love, um, was Tyson <laughs> Ross, who, you know, same thing, he's like 6'5", or whatever, um, yeah. throws hard, 93, you know, tons of movement, gets a better whiff rate, you know, quite a bit better than Marcus Stroman, um, yeah. and even has a better ground ball rate. But then I, I went over to Fangraphs, and you might be able to help me with this, because I'm a bit of a neophyte when it comes to pitch effects. <laughs> his okay. run save for his two-seamer is actually negative, whereas Marcus Stroman's is, is positive. So how can a guy that's 6'5", has a 15% whiff rate, 70% ground ball rate, have negative run save on his two-seamer, according to PitchFX? Oh, the, in terms of run saves, I've never really looked at that. Like, that's the... Uh like that's like kind of like the Fangraphs pitch quality score, I think, okay. or pitch effectiveness, or something like that. I've never really looked into that too much, so I'm unfortunately I can't really explain that. But that's a, it. Was just curious for me, and I was I was wondering if you'd be able to, to help me out with it. You know, to see Charlie Learning Hour here on the, <laughs> the Viewer Fancy's podcast. It's not always about you, Charlie. <laughs> Come on. But that I mean that's that's an excellent. I mean, obviously, you know, the stuff that we've we've all. We, this sort of helium balloon bubble has been built up about Stroman over the off season. Mm. Um, Almost a little too much. I'm scared that it's going to pop. But <laughs> but when you look at it in in, in grounding like like you have Kyle and yeah. like they have over at Fangraphs, it almost kind of 
it makes you want, I mean, we, we that have seen him coming through the system and saw what he can do kind of believe, but maybe those that are, have always stuck to the story that he's 5'9", you know, he won't have that downward plane, he won't be able to do this, he won't be able to do that, are starting to come around to that argument. Yeah. Um, now, you said that you started off, you, you did that kind of um, dress rehearsal with Aaron Sanchez last year. Yes. Um, what, you, um, you wrote another article and it kind of focused on some of the positives that Russell Martin brought um, to the staff, specifically um, A.J. Burnett um, when, he was in, when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. Francisco Liriano, I think you talked about it as well. Um, now, what, what aside, I mean, we've all read about the pitch framing um, and the work, you know, that is kind of the groundswell. It's, it's only been in the last couple of years that it's been a metric that people have really started to focus on. What else, what else do you think Russell brings to the table? And, and I, I know your article does have a couple of pieces, but what, you know, in a nutshell, specifically for some of the younger guys like, like Drew and Aaron, what, what do you think he can bring to the table for those guys? Well, I think with, uh, with, with Drew Hutchison in particular, just the way that over, like, I think 2012 to 13 to 14, the way that Francisco Liriano's slider transformed, because, I mean, Liriano's a lefty, so there's obviously a bit of a difference with Hutchison there, but just with sliders in general, you tend to use them against same-side hitters because it just goes, you know, down and away out of their swing plane. But what we were seeing with Liriano, or at least what I found, is that he was actually using it more and more against right-handed batters, and he was just, like, backdooring it just constantly, just backdooring, backdooring. So I think uh, at both Fangraphs and I think Bluebird Banter as well, there's a couple of really good articles about Hutchison's slider, and they were talking about how basically his changeup was so bad last season that late in the year he had to turn to his slider against lefties, yeah. and that he might have to do that a bit more going forward. And if, if there's any correlation between, between Liriano and Hutchison, that could be a very good thing if uh, – if Martin can earn Hutchison's trust and he can start throwing those sliders against lefties with two strikes, you know, it's impossible to say, but just comparing the two pitchers, it's, it's a promising, promising potential outcome. I'll say that much. And from a pitch framing perspective as well, it's, you know, it's amazing to see actual catcher that can not frame the, I saw somebody on Twitter actually said, we should just do away with the, the term pitch framing. It's just about receiving the ball properly. And there yeah. were so many times last year, Navarro did not do his pitchers any favors by just sloppy, lazy, you know, reception of the ball that, you know, really cost his, his, his pitchers a few strikes, now, you know, every game. Yeah, that's one thing that I noticed for sure last year is, and I mean, there was, there was definitely a few starts where he was catching Burley and he would look really good. And then you're like, man, Navarro's figured it out. <laughs> then the next game, you're like, nope, that was just Mark Burley because he'd be going after these Hutchinson sliders and he's stabbing and he's stabbing and yeah. You, you see it and like, you're like, oh, that's a strike, and then it doesn't get called. And the, mm. the Sportsnet little graphic will come up showing it's in the strike zone. And when you're, when you're reaching that far, and like, in, in, some ta- in some cases it is the pitcher just missing, mm-hmm. but there were some that looked very, very catchable, easily receivable that he just he made mistakes on, and it, it cost the team a little bit. Well, I think Greg and I, you and, you and I were chatting about this one podcast. It, it, I used to get really frustrated with that Sportsnet <laughs> whatever they call it, the pitch, pitch, pitch tracks, tracks or whatever. Because, yeah, yeah off, so often you saw it at the bottom of the zone and it, they weren't getting the call, and it's like, well, am I missing something here? Have they got mm-hmm. it? Re, do they have to recalibrate the pitch tracks? Or <laughs> I just you, find it distracting a little bit, although it is nice to know. But I don't know. What do you, what's your opinion on <laughs> Kyle? Do you like it when you're watching a game? 
I do. I think I like it a little bit. I mean, I, I definitely know it adds frustration when I'm watching <laughs> the broadcast. But uh, at the same time, when when we get a strike that we probably didn't deserve against the Yankees or the Red Sox, seeing it there, I mean, it always it, it cheers me up a little bit. And I know back before they did this, I used to watch the games with MLB Game Day open, and just to have like the the pitch locations, so I could see that kind of stuff. So I like it. I think it it does get a bit too. It, it, I think they did shrink it down a little bit last season, mm-hmm. which was good. But then they added the 3D look as well. Last yeah, year, I don't like. I, they always turn to the side and rotate that. I don't really understand what that's showing. Like, oh yeah, it was low. <laughs> we, could, we could tell that from the stationary point looking forward, but. Yeah, but it often you were, I mean what you were saying before it often seemed like Navarro would sometimes work down with his glove whereas mm-hmm. whereas Mutton's Martin Mutton Martin's a, <laughs> an advocate of of starting low in his in his position and working up to the ball isn't he yeah. so you know you would think and you know given the eye test that would help the umpire see those low strikes a bit better so with you know Stroman and Hutchison and hopefully Sanchez who are all going to be working down in the zone it's going to be a big boon to those three the thing with uh, with Sanchez and Martin that I think, and I think I mentioned it a bit in the article with the uh, with the Burnett comparison, is that when I watch Aaron Sanchez pitch, he tends to miss up a lot, and Martin is decent at stealing the, the high fastballs, but they kind of mm-hmm. have to be over the center of the plate. If he starts getting into that position where he's 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 not keeping his front shoulder closed, it's just flying open, and the ball is going up and away, up and away. I don't, I don't know how much help Martin can be because he can't, I mean, he's not a miracle worker, but if he can get those, those fastballs closer with that kind of movement, I think Martin will be a huge help to him. Since we're on the topic of the catchers and we're talking like Navarro is already an afterthought, (laughs) but he is technically still on this team. Uh, What do you, what do you think the Jays should do with Navarro? And if they do end up trading, what do you think the Jays should look for in return? I mean, I can see the appeal of keeping his, keeping him as a as a backup, but I, I also do get concerned when John Gibbons starts talking about him receiving regular DH at bat. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he did have a good season last year offensively yeah. for a catcher, but when you start saying, "Oh yeah, that you know, seven hundred OPS or whatever from the mm-hmm. DH spot," suddenly becomes far less appealing. Yeah, from a catcher uh, is the key line on that one. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> uh, before San Diego started going crazy, well, I guess during their craziness, I thought he may have been a good fit for San Diego because mm-hmm. they had that huge glut of outfielders after getting Myers and Upton and Kemp. I was thinking a guy like Seth Smith, but I think he's yep. in, uh, in he's Seattle, in Seattle now. now. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, like Arizona sticks out like a sore thumb. They've got the worst catcher duo in the league. Like they picked up a guy in the Rule Five, and they're like, "Yeah, he'll he'll be fine." <laughs> but and they have like a, a glut of relievers, so. If, I don't know if that's necessarily like the best play to trade a starting caliber catcher for a reliever, but <laughs> they've got some good ones if that's an avenue that they, they wanted to pursue. Yeah, and I know it's early. Um, early doors come spring training, but and you, I don't want to make predictions on small sample sizes, but A.J. Jimenez has looked good so far and had a decent you know winter ball down in, in the Puerto Rico League. So if... If they do trade Navarro, it's not like Josh Tolley is now written in pen that, that he's the backup mm-hmm. catcher. There is alternatives, albeit after Jimenez, it's it's rather thin. So, like you said... Yeah, I, I think that's sort of the concern that was... You keep... I mean, you never want to plan like your entire roster about, around an injury, but there's there's the whole angle that, you know, if Martin gets injured and you've traded Navarro, yeah. then you've got Tolley and Jimenez mm-hmm. and literally nothing behind them. 
Well, so until I, Max I guess, Pentecost arrives. Concern, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, if Donald Pliggett gets injured, what do we have behind him? Yeah. Nothing. Well, yeah, when Saunders went down, it was it was all panic stations already, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Holy exactly. shit. Our, our seventh best hitter, he goes down and we're panicking. Yeah. Well, he ruined his knee just so he could come back and they wouldn't have to do something, right? They took 60% of his meniscus out of his knee just, just so he could shave down his uh, his recovery time by a couple months. I don't know. Selfishly, I'm okay with that, but... I think a lot of Blue Jays fans <laughs> very selfishly were okay with that. I can understand, like, yeah, you want him, you know, he's only 28, you... You know, best case scenario, you've got him for four or five years, and at the same time, 2015 does mean a lot. So, yeah, to him, well, it does. At a, least if for... he's not in a wheelchair in a couple of years, then I, <laughs> I think that's a fair trade for me, selfishly. But I think, I mean, what we said, we've we've only mentioned three positions here, and and it does kind of bring to the forefront that there is a glaring lack of depth or quality depth. Uh, you know, so the Blue Jays do need a lot of things to break right for them. They have some very good players in key positions. You think they learn after the last few years, though? How many injuries had the Jays gone through? You know, with Reyes, I, he was healthy last year, but the year before that, you know, you got to have somebody there that's that's ready to take a take a starting how, position. How many games do you guys think Reyes plays this spring? The uh, spring? Oof. I'm saying like 15. I don't, I how, many do they have, how many do they have? So they've got about 30? I haven't even looked at the schedule. Yeah, I think it's like 32 or 33, something like that. I think they, they said in the last broadcast they're looking to add more, I think they said. Really? They're, yeah, they're trying to get some other games lined up, so, yeah. Yeah, maybe some split squad stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah gonna, but they don't have the pitchers or someone. I read that too, yeah, yeah. but Pete Walker, he's worried that they don't have the arms, and he's he's actually, it sounds like he's actually a bit forward-thinking in that he's got a computer spreadsheet and is tracking every pitch that these guys throw. Wow, in. he opened a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it, you can just imagine, what? What's the spreadsheet? I thought that was our job. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the games, And then nerd. tell him via Twitter, yeah. <laughs> You're doing it all wrong. Just um, throw Ricky Romero out there for 50 innings. He'll, he'll be fine. You know what, actually, I, I wanted to ask you this, Greg. This is a bit of an aside. Is he even in camp? No, he's in minor league camp. Oh, okay. So, I think we said that on the last podcast. Right, because they, they gave his jersey to someone. Yeah, I'm like, hang on, is he not even in camp? Shows you how much I know. Well, he's getting married now. I saw that. This is the TMZ part of the the show. Uh, yeah, some uh, it was a soccer player, yeah, I think. Cara Long, Lang, I guess, or Cara Romero now. <laughs> she's a Canadian. So. What? Yeah, she's oh, from geez, Ontario. Look at me doing my research before the show, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not your forte. We'll, we'll go with that. No. Is, uh... Well, speaking of my forte, <laughs> nice segue there. Thanks, Greg. Um, we were having a discussion a bit on Twitter, you and, and someone else, and I, I jumped in like I, I tend to do, um, <laughs> where you were saying Chris Sale is a bit of your spirit, uh, spirit animal because you're quite yeah. long and lean yourself. <laughs> and, That's uh, one way to describe me, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and we were talking about Miguel Castro, who pitched yesterday and I thought looked pretty good. Um, obviously, it was only an inning, and it's still very early. Um, but you did a very interesting take on your, on your um, top prospect list this year, whereas instead of kind of sticking your finger up in the air like I do, um, you, you broke it down into five categories and, and made it purely based on, on numbers. How did, yeah. how did that come about? You know, what, what gave you the inspiration to, to go that way? Well, ever since my days back at Jays Journal, I've always, had, uh, I've always enjoyed prospects, like the whole, I mean, there were lottery tickets, so it's always very interesting. You kind of watch their development slowly over the course of multiple years. So I've always kind of just, you know, either, even if I didn't publish it online, I kind of did my own prospect ranking, but I wanted to take a different approach and try to get, because I know I've got personal biases, like, and I think, uh, I think you and I discussed this once before where we were talking, like we kind of threw our rankings together and we were just talking about where we had certain guys. And I know 
like I think two years ago, I had Franklin Barreto in my top five, which I don't think anyone else did. So I kind of pat myself on the back for that <laughs> a little bit, I guess. But I've always kind of felt like the younger, toolsy guys, that's my thing. So right. the, old, the older guys or the guys, you know, in double A with a number four ceiling, they, they were never really my thing. I just pushed them down the list, pushed them down the list. So I kind of wanted to see how things would look if I just removed myself from the equation and just let the numbers be what they are. Because I know you're, you're never supposed to scout by the, uh, the stat line, but... I mean, so it's hard not to sometimes. Yeah, when when there's like six hundred, like a player takes six hundred at bats, and you know he kills the ball for all five months, and you're kind of like, yeah, those are his tools, but I'm I'm seeing some good numbers. Like you, you kind of you got to find the balance somewhere. So I try to to take myself out of it and just yeah create a system that I thought I think is pretty fair and pretty balanced, and I I enjoy I well I I appreciated how the the end results kind of sort of mesh with both what I think and what the industry thinks for the, for the most part. So it's not completely far-fetched. I mean, it's just numbers, so it's not gospel, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and, and your top three were the consensus top three that everybody's had. You know, in, obviously there's been different variables as far as the order is concerned. Yeah. But your number four, getting back to long and lean, was, um, <laughs> was Miguel Castro, who... Yeah. It's a number four with an asterisk just because I couldn't rank Jeff often, but I yes. think he was either four or five, for sure. So, you know, and, and he's a player that we've discussed on this podcast quite a bit. Um, you know, we had him here in Vancouver for the first month and a bit or whatever it was, and I, I, I wrote about him quite a bit and tried to chart him as much as I could, you know, and then, you know, this offseason he's ballooned as far as newsworthiness is concerned just because Anthopolis has made a point of it to speak about him four or five times. Yeah. Um, I know you didn't see him yesterday. We talked about that online. What, what, I mean, what do you see from this year? I mean, Anthopsis has basically told us that he's going to start and he's going to, he's going to head to Dunedin, which I think your age score, would you say was the average age for Dunedin or the, the, not the average age, but the uh, more predictive age was about 22. Yeah. He, 20, yeah. 22 for Dunedin. I think. And he's just turned, what did he just turn 20? I think he turned 20 in December. Right around December. Yeah. yeah. So wow. he's still going to be a couple of years younger than, <laughs> Than the league average, um, but it's it sounds like if he's good, we, we could see him in in double A before long. I mean, what what sort of what career path, what trajectory do you see for him? Well, the uh, some of the talk in the spring was that Castro was a candidate for the bullpen, and that that ruffled my feathers a little bit. I didn't. I, I think that's a really <laughs> dumb move. I can kind of see to some extent the idea with Sanchez because he's. I think got like 400, 400 in- innings on his minor league resume. I don't think Castro's over 150 at this point, so he yeah. needs that time. I think starting in Dunedin, even that might be a little bit bold. I thought maybe Lansing because he only I think he pitched three games there last year, but there wasn't many, yeah. But I can I can kind of see. I mean, just looking at the weather how it is now out out east, I don't think Lansing's going to be that nice, you know, <laughs> four weeks from now. So I yeah. can kind of understand starting him down in Florida, but. Yeah, I think you, you got to keep starting him. I think this year, yeah, I could I could see double A, just just the way that they've been kind of aggressive and and the way that Anthopoulos has talked about Castro in particular. But I think if we're in the playoffs, maybe or, or in playoff playoff contention in like August, I think you could reasonably see him up here in the bullpen. I just don't want to see him starting there mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. That's a waste. I just have a feeling we're going to see some funky stuff this year because Anthopoulos. We've talked about it on the show here. 
You know, this is probably one of his last, if not his last kick at the can. And he's going to put whoever's the most talented oh, yeah. into every position that he can. So if, if he sees Castro as a guy who right now is better than what they have, he's going to be in there. Well, yeah, Anthopoulos is going to have a new boss in uh, in October. So yep. he'll yeah, bring it, his own it people might be, in. It might be playoffs or bust for him. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the feeling that that most of us are good. You know, that I get as well. So you're right. We could see some really odd Kendall Graveman like situations where guys just balloon through the system yep. and. Accelerate the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. There are some positives to that, too, though, because, I mean, if Meister is Torres or Ryan Goins or whoever's starting at second base doesn't look good, I don't think we're waiting until June to see Devin Travis. <laughs> no. That's true. Um, yeah. Except, if but, he doesn't break camp with the team already, which exactly. is rumblings. Um, speaking of Sanchez, I, I wanted to touch on briefly. I remember you sent out a tweet, um, and this I'm trying to rack my brains. It was probably about three weeks ago where – you said if Sanchez has moved to the bullpen, it just confirms that they traded the wrong guy to the Mets. Yes. Um, what, well, I felt that way since, since the day of the trade, but I'll let you go on. Okay, you, all right, so you already felt that way. Um, in that light, what would you do with, with Sanchez? Would you, if he doesn't make the, the starting rotation out of camp, would you put him in the bullpen, or would you send him down to Buffalo to, to keep stretching him out as a starter? Because, I mean, the depth at starter, like the other positions we talked about, isn't deep. You know, that was a bit redundant. Johan Santana. <laughs> Liam Hendricks, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, for me personally, I'd rather see him start. So I'd rather him in Buffalo than a stopgap in the bullpen, which we could argue probably for another half an hour whether that'll stunt his development. Personally, for you, what would you rather see him do? Well, this is actually kind of interesting because we're actually kind of uh, creeping on a topic that I'm working on an article for right now. Okay, we're well, going uh, give it all away. <laughs> well, I, I'm just kind of thinking, like, in, the, uh, in terms of Sanchez, where we're talking about putting him in the bullpen for 2015, and then I'm kind of, what, I've, what I'm doing is I'm looking at, over the past 10 years, pitchers that have been starters in the minors then spent a full year in the majors as a reliever and then were conver- converted back to a starter just to kind of see what their career arc was looking like. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I mean, I think you, you, you start him in the, I think if you're going to use him in the pen, he can't be a one inning guy. I think you've kind of got to go back to the Scott Shields back in like the Angels days where he was like a 90 or 100 inning a year reliever. Like yeah. I want to see Sanchez out there for two or three innings at a time. Like Keep him slightly know, stretched he, out at least. Yeah, if you've got a 6-3 lead in the seventh, you turn to Sanchez and if he still looks good, you just let him finish that game off. Like there's, I don't see, like, you, you give him the 7th and the 8th, and then you have to bring Cecil in the mm-hmm. ninth. If he's looking good, just let him go. Let yeah. him run up, you know, because what did he throw last year? Like, 133 or something like that? Yeah. Somewhere, yeah. Well, I kind of mentioned, we talked about this whole situation, of course, on, on a different episode, and I think I mentioned it. It would be nice to have a guy like, like last year with Patances on the Yankees, where, you know, he came yeah. in after the starter already left, and you had trouble with the starter, and then, geez, we got to face this guy now. And then to ch- what Charlie said was, well, wouldn't you rather have that guy that you're saying, oh, geez, to pitch an entire game, which is sort of the root of the discussion, I guess. But if you are going to put him in the bullpen, then it might as well be in a, a role like that. Yeah, but Tantos threw, yeah, he threw 90 innings last year. Like that's yeah. 90 innings and seven, or, yeah, 90 innings and 70 appearances. So if, if you were going to use Sanchez as a reliever this year, I think that's what I'd want to see. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do see Charlie's point where, you know, if, if you've got that, then you can use it in the rotation, and you're obviously you get more value out of it. But yeah. Sanchez used 88% fastballs 
when he was in the bullpen with the Blue Jays. That is not going to work if he goes to the backs of the rotation. No. And I, think, so I, I, don't, I don't think he can say, like, oh, you know, he's pitching like this in the bullpen. Why don't we have that for six innings to start? Because it, it's not going to translate. It doesn't work like that. No. He's gonna, <laughs> no he needs to not. throw more curveballs and more changeups. Well, sure. yeah, and his, his curveball, I think you've mentioned this before, he's got a very good curveball. And then you, I think that was part of your article with, with the, on the Russell Martin piece, is, is that how another potential way he could help Sanchez by getting yeah. him to throw his curveball down and away, you know, and, and getting hitters to chase. Because I think you had some, some metrics up there where, you know, you guys were just seemingly making far too much contact with, with Sanchez pitches out of the zone. When he's got a, yeah, na- a nasty curveball, you know, he should be throwing it in spots when he's ahead in the count that, that guys are waving at it, essentially. Yeah, cause I, I think with, with Sanchez, his curveball, like the, the shape is good, but I don't know if the refinement's there, and he hasn't been able to get like that in-zone, out-of-zone movement. It's either like out-of-the-zone or in-the-zone, and it's never... Yeah, it's, and I, I think Martin will be good to just to get that comfort level. Like, you know, you can throw it low, and I will catch it. Like, it's not going to go back to the backstop. So <laughs> bend it, get that sharp break, and hopefully get a few more swings and misses on the thing. Cause, yeah, the, the swinging strike rate on his curveball was incredibly low considering the kind of scouting grade that's received. Yeah, for me, I mean, it, it's a big stretch. I mean, I I love Daniel Norris as much as the next guy, but you know, we're if people seriously think that Sanchez or, or want Sanchez to be in the bullpen, that's who you're expecting to take the fifth starter role. I mean, or Santana. Or <laughs> bringing up <laughs> keep Santana. just forgetting Santana. But yeah, then, obviously. Come I on. But I mean, you're asking a guy that you know pitched over three levels last year. You know, sort of like Dalton Pompey in that respect. You know, had surgery at the end of the season to remove some bone spurs from his elbow mm-hmm. to clean that up. You know, it's a, it's a big ask to say, oh, well, this is the guy that's going to be the fifth starter and, and push Aaron Sanchez into the bullpen. So I just, I really, really hope he just has a good spring um, and Noah Syndergaard doesn't. <laughs> um, but, but that's just being mean. Um, well, well Syndergaard's spring is an off to a very good start. Oh, isn't it? I, I haven't even got You got... Yelled yeah, at, got, I guess. He got, his, he got his lunch thrown in the garbage by David Wright. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Which is the dumbest thing I think I've heard <laughs> at the start of spring. I'm sure it'll be topped by the end of spring, but... Good yeah, start, They yeah. didn't like a meeting while the game was on. Oh, so really? They, yeah. they took his lunch and they threw it in the trash. Jeez, what, what, why did he, get he, to was, he was having a sandwich during an inter-squad <laughs> game when they didn't appreciate it. Oh, really? Is this yeah. sort of a Dustin Bufflin, Evander Kane yeah, moment? Yeah, he wore, basically wore his tracksuit and had a lunch. Had it, had it chucked <laughs> in the shower. Um, one last one for me, um, getting back to the outfield and the whole, the whole panic stations when, when Saunders went down, you wrote an article, now this is going back a while and I can't remember what, what publication it was on, but it was basically, you know, everybody had been throwing the, the Reed Johnson comp onto Kevin Pillar and and you wrote a piece saying that this is not bad. You know, he read, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm having a bit of a brain fart, but Reed Johnson you know, actually had a pretty nice career over, yes, over his time, you know, and, and put up, uh, I can't remember how many wins it was, but it was a decent amount of wins for the player, you know, the tools he brought to the table. Pilar has been a bit, you know, we all loved him when he was hitting his way through the minor leagues, and then we didn't, we, we all of a sudden stopped loving him when he started waving at sliders 15 feet outside <laughs> the zone. Can, can a guy like that learn to control the zone a bit better? up the major league level and, and, and produce this season as a fourth outfielder, whatever he becomes, because I think he's going to make the team, or is what we've seen Kevin Pillar? 
Well, I mean, if you look at the minor league numbers, and again, that's not gospel, but he's never had a great walk rate. Yeah. So I don't think that he's, he's not going to turn into like the Derek Barton who's going to run up like the, the 12, 13% walk rate. Like, mm-hmm. I think we're kind of grasping at straws, hoping for like four or 5% here with Kevin Pillar, but <laughs> I don't, I don't think he needs that to be, to be useful. And Drew Fairserve has actually had a great post on the uh, ghost runner on first where he was talking about Pillar being kind of like the, uh, the overachiever and the underdog. And yet, that's that's something that's normally like heralded in Toronto media, and yet everyone in the fan base apparently hates Kevin Pillar for some reason. So, I I'm actually surprisingly comfortable when when Saunders went down. Like obviously there was a panic, but mm-hmm. I think you can do worse than Kevin Pillar as a fourth outfielder. Again, like there's not a lot of depth behind him at that point. But yeah, but you're not really I comparing th- much to what we've seen in previous shows. Like who's the other fourth outfielder that we saw? Anthony Ghosts. You know, put put him compared to that. I guess would be your you know, from what we've seen, at least watching the Jays, right? Yeah, I mean, Pilar can play some defense, not quite like Ghost, but... He's at least know. respectable. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's a respectable defender. He can, he can crush lefties. So I think if, even if Saunders is healthy, I think Pilar is going to get some games against lefties in there. It's just, I don't think you can put Pilar in there against a righty with a good slider. Like he, not yet. He's... That that's that spells disaster before the bad even starts because you you know when the second it gets two strikes, that frisbee sliders come in and Pilar's chasing. Yeah, but like like I said, I don't think he's ever going to evolve into this this guy with really good plate discipline. You just kind of got to hope that his defensive value and his base running value and the fact that when he does make contact, he he can spray some line drives. You just got to hope that that outweighs the the below average on base percentage. Let's put it that way. But like you say, I mean, for me as a fan, I mean, I like watching him play because he plays hard. You know, he runs the bases very well. He's he's a smart player. You know, whether you like that laying out in the outfield for the TV dives that Zon <laughs> talks about every now and then, but he just needs to hit the ball. He just needs to get on get, get on, on base, base at a yeah. decent clip, and and like yep. you say, you know, maybe find a gap or two. Um, you know, with that lineup, you know, like we say, we we're panicking because our six hole hitter went down. Um, I think a little bit more was because he was left-handed in a predominantly right-handed lineup. But yes. Pilar at his, you know, he could bring some value. And I was, I just quickly brought up some numbers here. That that fair service article you mentioned was great because it it kind of, you know, that that plucky underdog. If he was, a, I think he mentioned if he was a St. Louis Cardinal. He would yeah. be he'd be anointed, and I, I quickly look at <laughs> compares. He'd be a playoff hero already. Right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Pilar's number to Colton Wong, who was a playoff hero, and, and their double A numbers are very very similar. Um, you know, so in in that respect, yeah, I think Pilar for whatever reason got caught up a bit in the narrative, and I don't know if it was the bat throwing incident or the fact that his eyebrows look plucked. Um, <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, I like him as a player. I really hope he does well this year, and I think. Like you said, you know he can he can bring a bit of value to the to the table, in what is you know behind him a very weak sort of outfield depth. Uh, you just like him because he's the first Vancouver Canadian to make it up to the the current Jays. You know what? I didn't even know that. <laughs> I, I felt so stupid that he I didn't realize he'd played the playoffs. Yeah. Like yeah, no, Strowman's gonna be. Yeah, Pilar's already there. What? <laughs> even watched the Blue Jays, Charlie. Yeah, I know. Come on. It sounds- <laughs> Well, uh, Greg, I don't know if you have any more. Well, I was just going to say with spring training, you know, net finally getting started and we got some games under the under underway, I guess, now. Um, is there anything either of you guys really, really, really want solved by the end of spring training or what, what you really want to see by the end of spring training resolved? Any issues that, that the Jays might have coming into spring training? 
Um, I think for me, I really, really hope Devin Travis has a great spring. Mm-hmm. I think that he, all the projection systems, and again, they're just projections. They really, I mean, they love they love Travis relative to everything else we have. But even with without considering like the potential black hole of Meister's Tours, <laughs> they do they like they like Devin Travis like in you know in a bubble. They I think Steamer had him at a at a two R projection or something like that. Again, over six hundred plate appearances, but yeah. he's he's the guy that I think he can bring enough that he's not going to be a black hole in that lineup. And I think that's what they really need with when you already have the Batistas, you don't need someone to, you don't need a superstar down there. You just need someone who's going to get on base decently and, you know, keep the mm-hmm. line moving. That's not going to be an automatic out. And mm-hmm. I don't know, Ryan Goins failing to lay down a bunt three <laughs> times. Jesus. Yeah, that was, that was awful. The Sturs did make a nice defensive play early on in the first game though. So it looks yeah, like he's but, healthy at least. Yeah, but Travis made a really nice play actually, That's true. and stuck in there on that double play, which was a bit silly because he could have been hurt. Um, what about you, Charlie? Early. What's what's the thing you're hoping for? For me, there's a few things, but I really hope Pompey has a decent spring because you know, absolutely. Going back to Kevin Pillard, and I think Keith Law had a, you know said some excellent things about him, saying you know even if, same thing, he's going to be hit at the down at the bottom of the order to start at least. You know, but with his base running, with his defense, with all those sort of intangibles, he can still bring value to the table. But if he doesn't hit all spring and he still wins the job out of out of camp, it could just start to snowball, and mm-hmm. we could see a Jackie Bradley Jr. situation mm-hmm. on our hands where, you know, the confidence just—he seems like a really confident guy, but who knows? You know, he's up in the big leagues for the yeah. first time. I know he was up in September last year, so I really just hope he carries on. Well, he's had two great games to start, mm-hmm. you know, and and he just hits. Get gets a feel for for major league pitching, and and stays being patient. I mean, that's one of the big things for for Pompey is, mm-hmm. and and one of the you know the positives that people talk about is is his patience at the plate and his and his ability to draw walks. So. Stays healthy. That's the other thing. Just just pray yeah. for no injuries because that, that would be nice. Yeah, my my hope is a simple one. It's uh, that that Martin is finally able to at least have a catcher other than Tolly that can catch the knuckleball. <laughs> I think not having Tolly on this roster can make such a huge difference and having to carry three catchers the entire season, I, I really, really hope that Russell Martin can catch the Dickey knuckleball because that, I think it's simple, but I think it can make a huge difference just on how the this roster is made up for the entire season. That's my hope, at least. <laughs> well, I think, a good one. Yeah, I think of the three, for me, that's going to be... The easiest—that's probably the wrong word to use—but yeah. I, I think we'll find out quickly. I think uh, Martin's <laughs> a good enough catcher where you know that—that's he's going to pick that up, you know. And and it sounds like he's the kind of guy where if, okay, if this isn't working, I'm just going to work harder. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make this work. Well, we we saw it with Aaron Sibia. You know, he tried and failed <laughs> pretty bad. That was a pretty brutal opening day when he tried to catch Dickey. But well, didn't uh, I read an article that they they hid they had them working together for a long time and they kept hiding him because they knew Aaron Sibby wasn't progressing. Whereas they yeah, had Martin I think in front of was reporters. Mo- he was mostly uh, in interest squad games that spring. Yeah, where <laughs> where Martin's already out in front of reporters catching him. So right now it seems like he's ahead of the curve. You know, ahead of Aaron Sibby. That's we can't really call <laughs> that a curve, but nevertheless. Do you think? Do you think if Martin? If he if they decide that he can't catch Dickey, do you think that accelerates a Navarro trade, and uh, that they would run with Martin and Tolly? Yeah, I don't know about that because would you? I wouldn't even want Tolly as the backup. Honestly, <laughs> if he's our regular backup, then I don't know. Well, if the alternative is three catchers, 
that's <laughs> I might take Tolly as a backup of yeah. three catchers. Oh, if you if you have to have Tolly on the roster, then yeah, I yeah. guess it would accelerate it. I mean. I think Anthopoulos is being very patient with us, and he wants value out there because he mm-hmm. sees the value of, of having Navarro behind, yeah. hopefully behind Martin, and, and being able to send Tolly wherever he sends him. And I don't think it's a hostile situation based on the quotes. Like, of course, Navarro's going to say he wants to start, but I think he's being patient as well. He knows that an opportunity is going to come up where the Jays are going to let him go because either a catcher's going to get hurt or somebody's not going to pan out the way they thought. And around the league, someone's going to need a catcher. So I think he's patient with that, and he's not going to force the Jays' hand to make any deal. He'll stick by and be a DH maybe for part of the season. I think eventually they're going to end up trading him, but I don't I don't really feel the pressure. Like You, you hear most of these times when players request trades, it's like, oh, we got to get him out of here as soon as possible. But I think with this situation, even Navarro himself is being pretty patient with the situation, at least yeah, from my agree. perspective. But. Yeah, and I mean, his salary is is not one that is overbearing. I mean, it's worrying that if Toronto feels the pressure to move five million bucks, because you know they, they they feel the cost saving would would help them that much. Mm. That would be worrying if if they really feel <laughs> pressure in that respect. But you know, five million bucks for a backup catcher is probably overpaid. But you know, at least he's a good one. <laughs> he, well, yeah, and like you said, maybe he'll DH. Kyle, maybe he'll play first. Who knows? Well, I mean, I think he'll probably catch 50 games, so yeah. that, that's something. And then, like, he'll, he'll catch more than Tully did because Tully was catching, you know, for the most part, Dickie, and that's it. But I, yeah. think, I think Navarro will catch 50 or 60 games, and then he'll get some pinch hit at, at bats, and he'll get some DH time against, I, I can't even remember, I know he's a switch hitter, I forget who he's better against, but what? I think Gibbons will use him effectively in that role, and I think he'll get, like, 400 plate appearances, which isn't that much below what he'd get as a full-time catcher. So, Yeah, and I think you, you just mentioned it there. I think as a switch hitter, his, his pinch hitter kind of stock is that much higher, especially late in the game, because, you know, it, it takes the matchup equation away and, and allows them to kind of, you know, use their bench more effectively, which in, in past years is, has been a bit of a problem for the Jays. Yeah. Um. I that's think that's great. Me. We'll yeah. uh, we'll let you go, Kyle. Thanks very much for your time. It's no getting problem. late out there. Yeah, um, thanks for staying up late with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all right. The time uh, difference makes it a little hard for for a lot of these Ontario-based guests, but uh, we appreciate you having coming. Which is on. where most of our guests tend to be, unfortunately. It's weird like that. Yeah, I don't that's understand. Got to get some Japanese guests on the show. Right? <laughs> they line up a little bit easier with us. But yeah, yeah. so Kyle, where where can everybody um, catch your work and and keep up with you? Uh, so, uh, my writing goes up at capitaljays.com and then I, uh, I try to have some entertaining tweets at, uh, at Kyle Maddie, just my name. So, uh, sometimes it's baseball related. Sometimes it's alcohol related. You know, you, you never know what you might get. We'll, we'll see. Sometimes it's alcohol induced as well. <laughs> there was that, there was that running one as well that we had recently. So that's, that was pretty good. Yes. Trying yes. to figure out what, what running workouts. And I did like this one just to, um, before we go, your latest post, I haven't gotten through all of it yet because there's a lot to get through um, on the bullpen. But the, okay, yeah. the tweet at the end is is fantastic. <laughs> from, uh, I, I, yeah, I feel like I had to add that. That yeah, was too good. From the Matt Ross, um, who was quite amusing. Um, so, yeah, good. That's great stuff. Thanks very much, Kyle, again, and um, hopefully no we'll problem. chat to you again. Guys. Perfect. Thanks, Kyle. All right, and that about wraps it up for episode 18 of Your Van C's podcast. Looking to be an exciting year and hopefully we'll have lots of topics to talk about especially as the spring goes along charlie we'll have some uh, interesting things hopefully to break down as we see this roster start to to take shape 
and we finally see where some of these players are getting assigned. Yeah, I mean, when, well, I mean, if, yeah, they'll get assigned to my, the various minor league yep. camps. We won't know for sure. I mean, like we said with um, with Kyle, we you know, Anthopolis has basically told us that uh, Castro is going to Dunedin, but there'll be some interesting other assignments for sure. Mm-hmm. So look forward. I always say that minor league assignment day is almost like Christmas Christmas for oh, me. Geez. So yeah, yeah, what a nerd, eh? <laughs> um, I wasn't gonna say it, but. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting, like you said earlier, that you know we get to see eight or ten games, and hopefully we get yeah. to see the Alfreds and Nays and and well, obviously and the guys, Josh Donaldson and, and Russell Martins of the world. And uh, well, did you think you'd be seeing Miguel Castro on TV already? And then no, that was, was awesome. yesterday. Yeah, that was that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So hopefully we get to see Asuna and and all those guys. Yeah, there was a bunch of relievers that came in aside from Castro last year yeah. that I hadn't even heard of. You know, <laughs> all these new guys that are. Battling for the bullpen. Can you believe it's already baseball season? Uh, well, yeah, because I, yeah, I primed for it in the California Winter League. <laughs> Scouted it. It's already been baseball season for you for exactly. a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we we look forward to another year of your Van Seas, and uh, like I said, yeah. Well, as the as the month goes on, once we start finding out where these players are going, we'll we'll do another podcast and and update everyone and and see if Charlie agrees with what uh, what the assignments are made. Um, but uh, thanks again to Kyle Matty for coming on. Uh, as he mentioned, you can get him on Twitter. I believe it's I, at Kyle Matty. Yeah. Uh, M-A-T-T-E is how you spell his name. Capital J's.com is the site. And, of course, you want to check out yourvancs.com. That's that's the, that's the big the, site. That's the money site I've been going through. <laughs> I, I actually have gotten through the first 20. So prospects uh, 11 through 30 Still are Plugging up. away with that, are you? Plugging away. Plugging away. <laughs> Um, and I had some other articles on on pitching and, and where the Jays would would get value. I think we touched on it a bit there with Sanchez as, as a starter. Um, and I've got a couple of ideas. I wanted to look at Hutchison as well. And uh, I've been up to you know me. I live close to uh, Hillcrest, so I've been up there a lot lately, and I've seen all the all the work going on at the Nats. So I, hopefully, I can sneak in there one of these mm-hmm. days and take some pictures and maybe get them up on site to uh, to update people on on how those developments are coming along. That was key for finding your place, right? It must be within walking distance of Nat Bailey. Was that part of the... That uh, was part of the remit. Same within <laughs> Japan. Must be within walking distance of a baseball stadium. <laughs> England, it didn't quite work out, no, but... Surprisingly. Uh, yeah, weird. I had a couple of football pitches nearby, though. We did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, read Charlie's prospect list on yourvancees.com. If you'd like to comment or talk to any one of us, you can go to email yourvancees at gmail.com. Or check out Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Kasky and myself. I'm at Greg Ballack. Uh, thanks again for listening and thanks to, to Kyle Maddie for coming on and look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks.